Welcome in, friends. This is mile 44 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here alongside Benjamin. And Benji, you're married. Yes, I am. Exciting? Yes. (laughs) I was hoping for a more affirmative answer there. It was really exciting up to it. Yeah, it was a beautiful event. That you missed. Well, I was I was gonna try to move on without. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna mention that, but I wouldn't say I totally missed it. I just missed maybe the most important like five minutes of the night. Yeah, the ceremony. Yes. No, you didn't miss it. You just drove by it while it was happening. That's true. I was awkwardly leering from the road as I had the car just kind of rolling by. Ben and Maggie, beautiful ceremony down in in Tampa last weekend, and I took a long drive down and got caught up in some traffic as I got close, so made my appearance for the reception, which frankly, that's where most of the action happens. Oh, the action happened. It was. It was big time. On a serious note, man, I am really happy for you guys. It was a lot of fun, and I do think that moments like that, looking around there, seeing all our friends there, and a lot of people who you know and I know through running brought together for that moment those incredibly special few moments you have in life like that. Like, you're only going to get married three or four times, bud. Yeah, I know. And... To share that space with all those people, it, it made you realize what this sport and our shared passion can do to bring people together. It was so much fun. I had a great time. I had a great time meeting some new people, meeting Maggie's family. And even though it was unseasonably brisk by Florida standards, I would say, Definitely. I don't think in my time living there I ever felt a an evening that chilly but it was still a a fantastic time so thanks for letting me be a part of it man yeah man it was perfect great stuff i followed it up on my drive home the next day i stopped at a place that i'm going to recommend to anyone who listens to us from florida or is on vacation like let's say you visit uh, orlando disney world universal any of that stuff between Orlando and Ocala, we'll say, there is this uh, town called Claremont. And outside of Claremont is a 10-mile dirt road loop all on clay in rolling hills. Nobody really thinks about rolling hills in Florida. But it is a beautiful, soft surface to run on. And while I lived down there, I never went and ran on it. It was two, two and a half hours away from where I was. So I made it a point to stop because I know that some of that area is going to get paved soon. And if you have a chance to stop in Claremont, you can just Google Claremont 10-mile clay loop and all kinds of web reviews and directions, all kinds of stuff will come up. This is where uh, Brooks Hansen's, for example, Ritz and, and Dez, these Athletes have gone there in the winter to train. There's a lot of triathletes in the area who train there, and it is just this fantastic place to run. So I squeezed in a a stop for 15 miles on the way home there and then got in the car, and for some reason, I don't know what came over me, but 
I chose not to get on a highway from there back to Greenville, just country roads. I thought, let's see some Take new places. Home. Yep, Johnny Denver. And it was beautiful, but it was a long day, but it capped a really, really fun weekend. Now, something that I think you were almost as excited about. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my wife. Yeah, I don't want to overstate that, but NCAA cross country. Connor McMillan, our last guest on this show, made a declarative statement that it was BYU's turn to win a championship. That man knew what he was saying. Yes. BYU is your NCAA cross-country champion for the men in less-than-ideal conditions in Terre Haute, Indiana. And the Arkansas ladies are the champions as well. Ben, I'm going to turn it over to you as the resident NCAA XC expert in the house. Give us some insights. Sure. I hope to live up to my new title on this. Well deserved. Would you like to start with the men or women? Ladies first. Absolutely. So I would say the women's race went about as everyone expected, except for how competitive the women's second place team proved to be with BYU. We saw BYU's top three finish 5-6-7 in their race. When I saw this, I was like, Arkansas has been defeated. How how can you come back from that? Luckily, Arkansas had them beat at spots one and two since they finished third and fourth with Kate Izzo and Taylor Warner. Mm -hmm. And then they had two more All-Americans. And their fifth place finisher was Lauren Gregory, who finished in 73rd place. Uh, This is the first title for the Lady Razorbacks. And this completed the academic championship sweep. So yeah, the calendar won, year. Yeah. yeah, so they won the indoor track and field team title, outdoor track and field team title, and now the cross-country team title. Historically dominant men's program over the years at Arkansas. And if you get a chance on Flow Track, and it's available on YouTube, the most recent... Workout Wednesday episode last week was down in Fayetteville. You get to see a really nice look at what they have on their cross-country course that is really beautiful. Uh, So great setting and a great workout that they put in. And they do an excellent job, the coaches talking you through why they do what they do. Yeah, and they pull up race clips during it. It's probably my favorite flow track workout Wednesday. Yeah, uh, at least recently for sure. It was it was very good. The individual crown went to Wayne Kaladi of New Mexico who was chased by Alicia Monson from Wisconsin. We expected Monson to put up a little more fight than she did, but Kaladi broke away around 4k and Monson was never really able to respond. It's the two people we expected to see duel, but you're right, it was actually in the end a little tighter race for Katie Izzo at third from Arkansas fighting with Monson for second. Savannah Carnahan from Furman nearby. Oh, yeah. Great race. And Gabby Jennings from Furman. Gabby Jennings, also top 20. As well as Hannah Steelman of Wofford coming in for All-American. Yeah, 23rd for her. Uh, Also local, NC State. Good race from NC State. Yeah. Good team performance. So In fifth place. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the women before we flip it to the men or any... Are you willing to look ahead at all? Ooh. I would say the women's race was definitely the more predictable Mm -hmm. of the two. Um, There wasn't necessarily anything shocking. 
Looking ahead, gosh, I have no idea. The far too early look ahead. Yeah, our top two teams were senior laden. Yeah, so. that's why I asked the question. It's going to be a little more wide open next year. I mean, individually, Wayne Kalati returns for her senior year, yep. so she should fall right back into that. But Katie Izzo, the third place finisher, who's coming off of a broken leg mm-hmm. last year, does return. She was only a junior. Yeah, you're right. Katie Izzo in the individual mix. Um, I will make a way too early prediction. I love when you do this. The UNC oh. Chapel Hill women yeah. will be a top 15 team at nationals next year. Okay. So there's a lot of factors, a lot of variables going into that prediction. That's a team that's been a, a sleeping giant since the Shalane Flanagan era, maybe. Got the coaching change. Chris Mittenberg comes over. Got some strong recruits coming in. A local runner here from uh, St. Joe's, Ava Dobson, will join the team. The brand new South Carolina High School State Championship meet record holder. That's right. So she just ran a sixteen fifty eight five k. They uh, that very well could be true. It's with the academic and athletic tradition of that university. It would not surprise me if they are soon one of the elite teams in the ACC. Want to hit the men's race? The men's race. Mm. Ben Sessions goes home devastated. Yeah, this was disappointing for you. The unabashed Northern Arizona fanboy. The easiest description of the NAU performance was a bit disappointing, right? Absolutely. So tell the people what happened here. As expected in the terrible conditions, the race gets out really hard the first mile. You have a 1,000 meter straightaway, essentially, that goes downhill. Yeah. Um, Peter Sufer of Virginia Tech took the lead, took the race out in like 422 through the mile. Something... Led through 8K, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Which was unexpected. <laughs> you know who? what his performance reminded me of? Talk to me. Luke Pascadra of Oregon Ooh. back in like 09 yeah. sort of time frame. Uh, he was just fearless and would go tear it up at Terre Haute in muddy conditions. Yeah. Also a giant like Sufer. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I like that. Sorry, go ahead. The key thing... Both Coach I Stone of the winning men's BYU team and Coach Mike Smith of NAU told their athletes on the start line is that you're not really going to move up in position after halfway that we have to get out hard. BYU did that. For whatever reason, NAU didn't do mm-hmm. that. NAU, they did not run a bad race. Their guys placed well. A lot of years, what they did could have won national. But BYU just got out amazing and had the race of the year. Yeah, Northern Arizona lacked the low number that they've had in in recent years during their little mini dynasty of the past three seasons. To go build on your point a little bit of getting out hard in those conditions, muddy, sloppy, it's really difficult to make up ground late in a race. And I know both of us in whether we're racing it or coaching it have had experience telling people to get out and get into position a little more so, maybe changing your tactics a little bit for those type of conditions. And you're right, BYU just killed that. Connor Mance, the guy who you asked Connor McMillan, could he be a national champion, finishes in third place. Overall winner wasn't much of a surprise. No, Edwin Kurgat has looked unstoppable. So Your boy came in second for the Buffaloes, uh, Joe Klecker. Joe Klecker is everything I want to be in a man or just want in a man. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> uh, he is 
that strong upper body, you know, kind of a, a, a big boy who reminds me a, a little bit. He's a, he's a little Goucher-esque yes. to go back to. With the barrel chest. That's right. Go Buffaloes of yesteryear. But Joe Klecker ran a fantastic race to finish in second. Perhaps, uh, maybe I'm just speculating, but perhaps future soon-to-be 10-man elite runner. It seems like he runs with those guys a lot. He actually lives in the Drew Hunter house. Oh, I didn't he, realize he that. He rents a room in the house. Okay, so. yeah. So there you go. That's what I get for not watching their their program on YouTube <laughs> more. I, I was unaware. So I have two shout-outs to give from the men's race. Please do. First shout-out goes to Ryan Adams of Furman University, who became an All-American in cross-country this weekend. And also, a freshman at Harvard, Colin Baker, who just graduated from Academic Magnet down on the coast, Mm -hmm. uh, finished in 48th place, uh, mixing it up with the veterans and just missing out on All-American status. He did. Uh, You look at the names who are right in front of him. Brody Hasty of (laughs) you. It's a little bit of uh, of a who's who. We had... We mentioned Matt Owens last time, strongest cougar in Provo. Yes. Yara um, Naguse they, they, from Notre Dame, who killed it on the anchor leg for them. Your national champion in the 1500. Yeah. So pretty great competition that he's up there with. I do want to point out, the guy right behind Colin Baker was Emmanuel Rodolphe Leveze. Oh, that sounded French. That. I love the way he you French, French that up, bud. He is from Portland. He ran a 214 marathon at Berlin in September. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. Wow. That's an interesting training approach. Absolutely. He was also the second place finisher at the West Regional last week. Okay. I did know that. I do pay attention to a few things. (laughs) Uh, I had no clue that he dropped that time at Berlin. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Moving on from this into next year. I do think NAU comes back as a prohibitive favorite again with their younger runners that they have. and Maybe there's a little bit of inexperience that explains their performance, but BYU is going to be really, really good again. It feels like it's a, a two-headed monster again going into next season. It, it might be far too early to, to say that this is just a two-team race, but I would be I would not be surprised if Northern Arizona and BYU were toe to toe again on the line next year, one and two for the national championship in cross country. What was the performance of the meet for you? Wow! So the in the men's race, the way it played out, I, I have admittedly a, a Joe Klecker bias, but I just thought. As it's happening, I didn't get to watch it live. I'm watching the splits. And I thought as it played out, I I didn't necessarily know he was going to have the close that he did. And then being able to finally watch the replay and see, I was really impressed with the way he raced. Very strong. And I I take nothing away from Edwin Kurgat, but he is the best runner. Edwin Kurgat is the top guy. And this was no surprise and a well-earned victory. And unfortunately... Iowa State not as quite as strong as a team this year as they were last year. Some graduations, some transfers that limited their team ability. So I'll say Klecker individually, BYU as a team, both men and women, I'm not sure they could have executed much better. And to go back on what we asked Connor about last week, that's the same outcome that we saw in the 10K outdoor in Austin in the spring. 
And so they have to feel like they're finding a formula for both their men and women for making it happen at the right meet, right time. Definitely. Anything else from you? Yeah, I was just going to say for myself, the performance of the meet was Jarrett Carpenter of mm. Purdue. Yeah. He finished 119th at this meet last year. Boiler up. Didn't go the year before. He finished 10th this year. Mm. It was a good day for Indiana colleges. You had Kyle Mao up there at 12th. Yes. Hudson, Ohio's Kyle Mao. That Jarrett Carpenter story is is really cool. Be fun to see what he does in, in track. So we're going to leave it there on NCAA Cross Country. And now we're going to play for you an interview I recorded last week with Enoch Nadler. Enoch is the top American finisher at the Toronto Marathon this fall. We continue to roll on with this series of of good marathoners joining us. Enoch's got a great story of his running, his coaching, incredible training advice here, really thoughtful approach that he's going to present on training versus overtraining, knowing what's right for you, whether that be your workouts, your volume, which races to run. And he shares some of that wisdom with us that he has shared with his team down in Gainesville, Florida. So here is Enoch Nadler. All right, Enoch, welcome in. Thanks for joining the show. How are you? Thanks. I'm doing great. Yeah, I, I, it's great to be here. I'm a fan of podcasts and obviously, you know, a big running fan. So I'm ha- happy to be here, happy to talk to you and just get to know more people and share my story or really anything you want to talk about. So. Sounds great. So hope that you have been basking in the glow the past few weeks of a really <laughs> great marathon, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a great run and uh, you know, I would say that I basked in it for a couple of days, you know, but then it's time to get back to work with the Olympic trials coming up here pretty quick. Um, I uh, try not to, I guess, let the highs get too high or, you know, sometimes there's lows get too low. Um, I actually was a professional poker player uh, for many years after college. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of swings, a lot of ups and downs with that. And uh, to live that lifestyle, I kind of, you know, developed that mentality. So, you know, it was an awesome day. I was really, you know, my wife and I were really proud. We, we celebrated, you know, those next couple of days, but then it's just kind of back, back to life as normal. Yeah. So like any good endurance athlete, you got to get right back into the grind, but let's, yeah. let's pause for a minute and talk about professional poker. <laughs> Uh, one, what got you into that? And two, how does that mentality carry over to a race situation? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I was in college running kind of during the poker boom of the early 2000s. Yeah, I started in 04, and that's, you know, a couple years after the Moneymaker, Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker. And so that kind of, you know, people were playing online. It was pretty easy to do that stuff. So kind of like in the summers or, you know, off-season, I'd uh, play a little bit here or there online, and then me and my friends on the, on the team, we'd get together and play, like, small $10 tournaments or something along those lines. You know, just, you know, everyone else might be going out to parties or something like that, but it was a good way just to get together, hang out, you know, and not, you know, during the season, we could do that. It was kind of a fun way. We'd watch some football games or do whatever. So kind of did that, you know, in and out just kind of for fun for the first four years I was in college. Um, but then my fifth year, I was done competing while I was still finishing out school, and started playing more online. I had all this time, obviously, you know, when you're not doing double runs and going <laughs> to the gym and stuff. So I took a break from running at that point and kind of put that passion into poker. And, uh, you know, I would say first I trans 
transferred, you know, running mentality into poker where it was, I, I, I really like tournament poker, which is a long, you know, you start and the goal is to stay in it, you know, till the end, till you win it. Um, so the tournaments can last six, eight, 10, 12 hours, you know, they're long, long days. Um, and so that mentality of like survival, hanging on, you know, maintaining your, your composure, things like that, uh, came to me pretty easy, kind of the discipline and stuff. So I started making money and next day I knew I graduated and was like, all right, you know, just kind of followed that and, uh, did that for, I think it was about seven years that I played poker professionally, um, online mostly. I did, uh, live in Vegas for a time, played in the world series of poker and stuff like that, but I always enjoyed the efficiency and the schedule of playing online where you could get up in the morning, you know, get into your routine. It was kind of like a normal work day really. Um, Whereas if you're playing, you know, live tournaments, you're traveling constantly, you're, you know, stuck in the casino, you know, till all hours of the night, you're playing on weekends and stuff like that. Whereas this was, you know, I, I, I work, uh, I could have a really good disciplined schedule still. And I did that for, for a long time. So, but the only thing that was missing was really interaction with people and something that I'm really passionate about. So, you know, eventually moved away from that. Are you willing to share your biggest win either online or at a, a real table? Um, so, you know, I, I did play very few cash games. So, okay. like, you know, I, you know, I would say I, I had bad hours where I lost, like, $5,000 oh. or something like that, you know. But never, I never had, like, you know, big wins in cash. Most of, you know, the, the biggest hands you'd be in would be, you know, $1,000 or something like that, which is a lot of money, but you're just kind of, you know, it's nothing crazy because I didn't play the biggest stakes. Whereas in tournaments, even at the lower stakes, you can play for big amounts of money. Um, so I did have, you know, I had a, quite a few scores in like the five, ten, fifteen thousand range, pretty consistently over the years. But I did win one pretty big tournament that was, you know, six figures plus um, online, which Ooh. is pretty fun. So yeah, 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 dude. I imagine your life is like rounders meets chariots of fire. <laughs> this is sick. Yeah, not so much. You know, uh, really, like I said, it's kind of the everyday, you know, the type of job um, when it comes down to it. It's, you know, you, you put in the hours, you put in the work, you really just have to be better than the people you're playing against. I was pretty low, low risk approach. I'd play a lot of tournaments, a lot of volume, but the average buy-in wasn't that high. So the swings were never really big. Um, I kept it pretty low risk. You know, when you'd have the ups or you'd have the downs, you'd big the win the big tournament or run a fast race, it's kind of just get back to work as usual. You know, you celebrate for a night or something like that, and then you're right back in there. So Yeah, I can definitely yeah. see how that applies to running, the, the risk-reward, yeah. the consistency, all that stuff. Um, exactly. And one thing I think that poker, you know, obviously there's like the endurance side, like the mental side, things like that. But I think the biggest thing that, that poker and running, the crossover, is like not being super results-oriented. Mm. Because poker, there's clearly a lot of luck in any one hand, any one tournament. Um, so if you're doing the right things, and it, you know that doesn't mean you're going to win that hand. It doesn't mean you're going to win that tournament. But if you just focus on the result, the result, the result, that's not how you get better. You know, you have to focus on: Am I making the right decisions for the long term? Am I playing correctly? And if you do that in running, too, you know, if you train correctly, it doesn't mean that every race is going to go well. It doesn't mean you're going to have a great result every time. But if you kind of control what you can control and improve and learn upon what you can learn from, then, you know, the, the results should become more consistent. and You should, you know, quote unquote, win over time and kind of, you know, continue to improve. So that mindset really transfers well between the two. And it's something that made me really consistent in poker where I wasn't, you know, winning 
massive amounts of money and losing massive amounts of money, but I was always moving in the right direction, improving. And with running, I've kind of had that same mindset. Well, you certainly took care of the things that you could take care of before and at Toronto. So (laughs) uh, let's start with this. Why Toronto in the fall race season? That's a great race. But a lot of our listeners are, of course, more familiar with the competition in the fields at, say, New York or Chicago. So what took you to Canada? So a few specific things. Um, You know, it wasn't, like you said, it's not one that you're like, oh, I've got to go do Toronto. And for me, it wasn't that either. Um, What happened was, is I had, you know, ran my first marathon at CIM two years ago. I guess it's coming up on three years ago this December. You know, it was a, a year build up. I'd come back from uh, you know a, a break from running and ran CIM. I was I would say prepared, but a little underprepared in that you know I only had a year build up. Um, ran well to run two eighteen, hung on the last ten k, but really struggled. Um, and then from there, I, I didn't race a marathon again until Boston this past spring. I felt like I needed to improve, get stronger. You know, um, I knew I had work to do before I wanted to take on another marathon. I ran Boston, and really my plan was run CIM, focus on getting faster. I got on the track that following spring, you know, ran a 5K PR, 1500 PR, uh, you know, made some improvements, got better, and then run Boston and then not run another marathon until um, the trials actually was my plan. Um, with coaching full-time, uh, you know, it's about finding that balance, not overdoing it, racing too much for me. So I ran Boston and Boston really didn't line up like I wanted it to. I ran pretty much the entire race by myself. Um, and I think I wasn't quite ready for the hills, a lot of the downhill. I knew what to, to expect and what to prepare for. But I, I think I, you know, now, having run it, I see some things, some areas I can improve upon. And, you know, I ran well there, running 217. But I think my mindset going in was like, I want a fast race to really be able to go for it. And Boston, with the net downhill on the, on the first half and then all the hills, I just didn't feel like it was a race that I was really willing to go out super hard and just blow up at Boston and, and you know, kind of kind of a more risky approach. So I, I kept it more conservative, which left me running. There was a big pack out in front, left me running alone for, you know, basically the whole race, which was a good mental experience to see that you can take that on and handle it. But still only improving by a minute, you know, a year and a half later made me think, I know I can run faster on a good day, you know, better weather, a faster course, and I also felt like I learned some more things to improve upon, so I I decided, I talked to my wife, I was like, let's go for another one between now and the trials, um, that I can kind of just get out there and get after it and see what I can do a little more, Um, because I really felt like I still hadn't shown that, so I messaged Chicago, to, to get into that race and they never emailed me back you know <laughs> anything um and a couple weeks went by and then this was still like may or june so pretty early um didn't get a response messaged them again didn't get a response because they have like the sub elite entry where you can pay for your own entry and you're in the sub elite field or whatever but that's under 230 so i figured i'd run 217 maybe they'll at least kick me a free entry or something like that but then that sold out pretty quickly the, the cap on that and they just never got back to me, never would let me in the race. So that was what I was kind of eyeing for. I looked at Berlin. Um, I looked at, you know, and I, I actually contacted them. They let me in the, the race. But I decided so much travel, you know, uh, a lot of expense, the time zones. You've got to go early. You've got to adjust to all that stuff. I knew it was a fast course and a good race. But just between the, with the Olympic trials coming up and the mentality of, like, I'm going here to get after it and kind of push the envelope, you don't want to spend, you know, three thousand dollars and you know just on plane tickets and everything and go over there and do that. Uh, if you're just, you know, 
basically willing to, to kind of risk getting be a little more aggressive. So I found Toronto. They uh, didn't even really give me an elite entry. They gave me like a sub-elite entry, but free entry because uh, they had the Canadian Olympic trials mm-hmm. there. So that was kind of their big focus. Um, and I didn't get, you know, bottles, which I've done for my previous races, like the elite bottles or anything. So I kind of had that underdog mentality going in. It was just like easy flight up to Canada, get to see a new city I haven't been to. I know it's a pretty fast course. The weather may be good. Let's go for it. It's kind of a low risk, you know, but high high reward potential. And, uh, you know, again, there's not many Americans that do it, but it was a great race, you know, really, really good course and uh, a great city. So quickly, before we get into the race, any piece of you disappointed about Chicago now looking back, <laughs> knowing that, you know, we had Gerald Mock on yeah. the show a couple of weeks ago, and you had this huge group of guys in that 210, yeah. 211 range that uh, a lot of them were big breakthroughs. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. You know, watching that, that was, uh, I think, two weeks before my race, I believe. It was a week or two weeks before my race. Maybe just a week. I think it was a week before my race. So, yeah, watching that and seeing all the splits coming through on those guys, guys that I know I can run with. You know, I ran with Gerald, actually, at Gate River Run, finished right behind him. It was with him to, like, the last mile or something like that. So, seeing those guys run 210, 211, I think there was 10 guys that had run, you know, under 212. You know, it, you're de- you know, you feel like oh, I missed that opportunity because you know being in that mix would have given me a really good shot to run fast. But at the same time, you know, I did everything I could to get in that race. Like my wife and I were literally like messaging their elite coordinator on like Instagram and stuff, <laughs> and they they just they're like, w- if we want you in the race, we'll contact you or something like that. Like it was like not like if they just told told me, you know, you're not in the you, you can't make the elite field sign up. Like I would have just done that you sure. know right away. So it was a little bit, but it also gave me some confidence because I was like, I can run with those guys. Yeah. And they just threw, you know, 210, 211. Um, these are, you know, I finished right with the two Atlanta Track Club guys and they ran 211, um, you know, at Gate River Run and one, you know, a couple of them at Boston as well. So I was like, I know I can run with those guys. I feel like they definitely had a better situation to run fast than I ended up with in Toronto. But I kind of like where I'm at coming into the trials. Like, I, you know, I know that I belong with, with those guys, but I'm still under the radar. You know, no one really knows who I am, some guy down in Florida you know, <laughs> like, that ran Toronto. You know, no one's paying attention to me, zero mention. But it's kind of that mentality again um, where I'm doing this for me, doing it for myself and my, and my wife and the team down here and the group I've got. But I'm not looking, you know, for sponsors. I'm not looking for really recognition. I'm just – here to train, to learn, to improve, and to share that with myself and anyone that you know I can help. Well, Team Seconds Flat here is trying to get you a little bit of publicity going into the <laughs> thanks, trials, but, but not too much. We want to keep yeah. you a, a hidden gem here. I don't mind publicity, but at the same time, I'm not out. Like that's not why I'm doing this. Sure. You know. Yeah. So yeah, being in Chicago, I, I, I'm confident I could have rolled with those guys and run a faster time. Um, but I like to stay hungry and stay motivated, and that's you know for another day. So uh, quick. A point of clarification, Gate River Run, that was the 15K mm-hmm. uh, U.S. Road Champs. And for our guests who are, uh, or, excuse me, for our listeners who are not familiar, you were eighth this year, is that correct? Yeah, and it was uh, pretty cool to run that because, you know, it's just right up the road in Jacksonville. I grew up, you know, you know, close by. And I actually ran that race. It was one of the first races I ran, uh, you know, in high school that was a big national level. You know, Meb was there winning and Dina and stuff like that. So, I didn't run it from, I think, 2002 was maybe the last year I ran it. And then to come back in 2019 and run it and finish on the podium was a a great experience. Yeah, very neat. Yeah. Uh, So back to Toronto. 
You have a negative split in the second half. Describe your approach to the race. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't really want to have the same experience as I did at Boston where I ended up running completely alone. Uh, and I knew the front of the race was going to be really, really fast. You know, there was usually one in 206, 207. This year it was like 205. Mm-hmm. There some really fast guys that came in. A guy that's won then, a guy that's won that race a few times. So they're going out in 63. That pack's, you know, out of question. Then they had paid a couple pacers to pace a 105-30 group. And then a 106-30 group, they had one pacer for that. So there's two for the 105-30, one for the 106-30. And I knew I kind of was in that you know, mix. 105-30 at Chicago is a little different, a you know, faster course, a bigger group of guys. Um, so I kind of was undecided the night before if I was going to go with the 105-30 or with the 106-30. I figured both of them would still give me a good chance to, you know, move, to move forward and improve. Um, so I, did, I really just decided to play it by ear based on how many guys were with that front pack and then how many guys were with the pack behind. Basically, the gun went off, and I uh, kind of you know, settled in around the be the slower group, but kept an eye on the group right in front of me, and it ended up being pretty small. There was maybe like five guys in that group, and they seemed like they got out a little fast, and the group I was with was going a little slow, so I actually ended up in no man's <laughs> land right away. Um, I was with the, the young guy from, uh, what's his name, Rory Linkletter? Linkletter from like BYU, that. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the Canadian, he's Canadian, you yep. know, and so he's there for the trials. Um, and so I was running, it was just me and him, and we were running like 106 pace. So kind of, it was like, you know, I could decide at that point. And I think I was with him through about 3 or 4K, and at, at about 3K, I was like, oh, we're on like 106 pace. I was like, are you looking to run this? And he's like, I'm just finding my groove. <laughs> like, that's what he said to me. You know, he was just like zenning out or whatever. So yeah. like, that's that's cool, but that doesn't really sound like much of a plan. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is his first, I think it was his first road race yeah. or something. Yeah, like it that. was like, his here, debut. You know, yeah. 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 And um, so I was like, mm, you know, I'm about to find myself possibly in no man's land again. So it's like either move up to the pack ahead that seemed like they were getting after it or just pump the brakes and at least group up with some guys for a while. So I kind of backed off a little bit, let Rory go, and settled back. I think by about 6 or 7K, the pack behind me just slowly caught up to me. A few really good Canadians that were pre- previous Olympians that are a little older now, and they're mm-hmm. like the late 30s or 40. I think one of them's 40. Reed Coolset, who's yeah. an Olympian, 210 guy. Um, and I had been messaging him a little bit back and forth before. So I knew that was a good place to be with some experienced marathoners. But the pacer was, like, not on it whatsoever. They started a little too slow. They kind of were catching up. But he wasn't paying attention to the tangents. He wasn't looking at his watch. Mm. He was just kind of running. Um, so we were kind of in that group. But it was nice just to get to run with some guys and, and to be in a pack and not have to, like, feel like I'm running the whole thing by myself. And it, I think it ended up being, you know, obviously I had a good race. So it's, it's easy to be like, that was the right decision. But the group in front of actually ended up going out 65 flat. Um, the fa- so they went out 30 seconds faster than they were supposed to, which I think on that day, I'm not quite there yet on that course, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 65, 30, 66 flat, I think would have been, been a good place to be, but they were a little fast. So I settled in with that group, but the paces were kind of a little erratic, but they were okay until about, I guess it was like 18, 19, 20 K. And then from there, the pacer seemed like he was starting to struggle a little bit and starting to fall off. So I kept kind of moving to the front to kind of keep the pace going, keep it honest. Uh, and then I think we we went through halfway about 18 seconds slower than we were supposed to, you know, 60, 66, 48 or 66, 49. 
And then he dropped like a 315 kilometer or something, you know, like at least five seconds slower than I'm supposed to be going, which is pretty significant to be starting to slow down. So at that point, myself, Reed, and one other guy, uh, Canadian guy, we kind of set out, and Reed and I kind of started switching back and forth at that point. And I was hoping we'd have a pack through like 30K, but with the pacer not holding it together, a bunch of guys that were actually in that pack ended up being in the half marathon, which cuts out at about 18 or 19K. So they all dipped out. And then it was just me and those two guys. But at least I had a group to run with for 15K or so where I could kind of you know block some of the wind, settle in, and get rolling. But I came through halfway feeling pretty controlled, You know, the fastest I've split so far, even though I was hoping kind of for faster through halfway, but felt pretty good. Um, and it was a great experience actually doing um, – cups instead of bottles you know i've had that for my past races you know, i've coached a ton of people to run with cups and use gels i had 10 gels in my pocket oh wow yeah um I, I fuel you know pretty pretty good um so i had 10 gels run gum in the front pocket uh you know i actually started with a bottle in my hand the first 3k that had uh, the martine mix in it um and then tossed that you know along the way and then from there it was just the cups gels uh, had the whole fuel plan like written on my arm in indelible marker, you know, just what the what kilometer. I switched my watch to kilometers since there's no mile mile markers yeah, out sure. there. And, you know, just stuck to the fueling, kind of grabbing cups. And honestly, I think it was better than Boston. And I learned some stuff fueling more frequently as opposed to relying on getting it, you know, whatever it is, every 5K or Atlanta is going to be every four miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really felt like I wasn't forcing a larger cal, you know, I did the same amount of calories as I did in Boston, roughly, but I was getting it more frequent because I'm hitting cups. I'm, you know, can do the gels at only a hundred, you know, calories at a time. Whereas at Boston, I was more like 160 to 180 every 5K, and I was doing it all at once. So the fueling seemed to be better. It seemed like my energy was more even. It wasn't felt like I was like forcing in more than I needed. The, you know, so that really lined up well, and it kind of gave me something to do. Obviously, the cups aren't as good as drinking out of a bottle, but I, I feel like in Atlanta, they're going to be every four miles, and every two miles in between is cups. So I plan to do more of a mixture. I'll find out the exact plan, but I, I really learned some stuff there, so that was great. Um, but the fueling was good, and then I think I left, like, Reed, Reed and I were kind of switching back and forth, but then I kind of started to pull away at around maybe 28, 29K. So I ended up running the last 15K by myself. But at least at that point, you know, you're kind of picking it up, feeling good, passing a few guys that were coming back. On that note, you reeled in some names there, like Cam, yeah, Cam yeah, Levins yeah. as one. Yeah. You know, Describe that feeling. Yeah, so that front pack that ended up going out 65 flat, only the one guy um, that ran really well, the one Canadian guy, held it together. Everyone else ended up coming back, and I caught all of them except for two of the guys from that group, him and then one other uh, guy from Mexico. So yeah, getting to pass a couple guys was good. But really, I was just kind of running my own race, just trying to keep the kilometers clicking by. Uh, there were definitely some lonely, I would say, like lonely miles out there, uh, just because it's not a you know huge race. Uh, and so as we went out along the lake and kind of coming back, um, there were some stretches where you're kind of on your own. But I was just finding finding my to keep my turnover going, focusing on form, you know, grabbing cups, throwing you know, throwing down gels, which. The, the Martin gels are pretty much like jello shots. You know, yeah. just sucking them down. So I was just kind of doing that, doing my thing. And it felt great to be, you know, picking up the pace as opposed to in my previous two marathons, you know, they were positive split by two, three minutes. Um, so to, to negative split by 30 seconds. And for it not to get really rough the last, you know, 10K, which my last two ones kind of got tough towards the end. It felt good to still be holding pace have some run left in my legs and not just feel like I was completely uh, shot 
this one, yeah, it gets tough, but you can keep the pace going as a big confidence boost for sure. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the um, Canadian Olympic trials there, and it was uh, Trevor Hoffbauer out front mm-hmm. able to hold on. And watching the race live on the Canadian broadcast, it seemed like they were expecting this inevitable blow up from him, and yeah. he had this amazing performance. And that's a past Canadian champion. Uh, he yeah. kind of became famous a few years ago because he took some time to I saw that yeah. high five the crowd rather than getting a time bonus for cash. A heck of a performance from him. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you're right; it did look like that the front group was really more so falling apart. And for you, I think all our listeners can benefit from that experience you just mentioned of the mental benefit of picking some people off along the way and knowing that you're charging really hard. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, everyone says that the best way to run a marathon is to negative split or even split, but it's not easy to do. And it's not easy that, and it's not what I set out to do. It was more just, you know, the plan was to find the right spot, kind of run my race, and, and then hopefully, you know, you dream that you can negative split, yeah. you can pick it up. But it is a great, it was a great feeling to feel like I'm running better now, later in the race than even early on. And of course, it's harder to keep those paces, but to feel like you're picking it up and you're getting stronger and passing guys that are coming back is definitely a good feeling. I always try to, you know, encourage my marathoners to run in that, that, that type of race, but it's not always easy to pull it off. So, sure, yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, it was great seeing Trevor crush it, and that's kind of you know the the everyday runner, the guys that are out there grinding. And, you know, I think it gives hope. Guys like myself have right. big performances, or guys like him that make these big break breakthroughs. I only knew of him because I watched like a previous stream to see the course. Mm. Like I pulled it up on YouTube, and I was like, I'm going to check out the course, and I, wa- I happened to watch the year that he won, and yeah, he was all celebrating and stuff, and he looked awesome. I actually passed him in this race on out and back and he was like high-fiving some of the guys <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. yeah you know and and that's something i tried to do in this marathon a little more too was in shorter races and even in the half marathon i feel like you're running at a at an intensity that it's hard to really you know quote unquote enjoy things to yeah. see the sights to relax a little bit maybe you say a few words to a couple guys you know in a 5k if you're running really really hard you know there's not really room for that. So you can be that laser focus the whole time. Whereas in a marathon, in my first one especially, like I brought that same mentality into it that I need to be like focused from start to finish, like in that zone. And I don't know if that's really sustainable to be that dialed in. Or I shouldn't even say sustainable if it's really you know efficient because you're burning more energy trying to be so relaxed. Being a little more... Uh, you know, kind of present, seeing things, you know, saying, you know, waving to some people that are maybe cheering from you, waking up at points, like he was, you know, high-fiving guys going by, you know, I talked to Reed a little bit during the race, like while we're running, you know, just kind of like some words of encouragement or anything, you're like having that where you're a little more go with the flow than like, you know, Terminator just like dialed in and mm-hmm. you're like out, because that's hard to maintain. And it's good to see him, you know, he was like pumped up all the way and you know, like you said, that one, you know, he didn't care about the few seconds at the end. He was enjoying the moment. Yeah, you, yeah. you hit on something that we've discussed a lot here, that just appreciating that moment that you're in yeah. when you're out there. Uh, yeah. As a guy who used to live in Florida for a while myself, I, I know all about training in that Florida heat. Yeah. Can you give us a little on how you feel that might be advantageous and maybe also some of the key work that you did leading up to Toronto? Yeah, for sure. You know, I 
as a as a coach, uh, you know, I've coached some people through the summer to train for a marathon, but this was the first time I had trained really for you know an early fall marathon. Having done CIM, you're kind of doing more of the, the the quality work, and it starts to get better. Um, but putting in big months in in July and August weren't different from college where we you know, train big months over the summer, but you're not really doing a lot of specific stuff or longer stuff or anything, you know, like really long workouts or anything like that. And so I kind of brought that same mentality into it was do what you're capable of doing that the weather gives you, not what you expect you have to do to be able to perform well, because you're not going to be able to show what you're capable of. I don't really believe in showing what you're capable of in practice. Anyhow, mm-hmm. I think it's about putting it all together. Um, but the summer just takes that to a whole nother level. Easy runs need to be a little easier. Uh, I've put together very few, <clears throat> excuse me, very few like big workouts. Um, you know, if you look at my training, which I put post all my training on Strava, not many big workouts, not many long tempos, not many you know really long just slug it out type of workouts because those take a lot out of you and they really take a lot out of you training here in the summer. And it was a really hot July, August, and September. So uh, I was hoping to do actually more mileage this build. And I started with more in July and put in a couple weeks over 100 and kind of realized that if I wanted to have the quality as well in there, shorter quality, but still have a little quality mixed in to be ready to run, you know, five minute pace for the marathon. Uh, it, it wasn't really the approach for me. So I actually started backing off. I didn't run a, a week over, I think 85 in the final, like seven or eight weeks. And I ended up only averaging 80 miles a week, uh, for the whole 16 week build leading into the marathon, which most guys that are running faster, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that. I see this guy running big mileage. I see this guy doing big workouts where they're doing, you know, eight by mile repeats at 440, or they're doing 16 mile progression runs, you know, with eight miles at marathon pace. Like you're not doing that in Florida. Like you're going to be, and if you do, you're probably not going to get to race day feeling really, really good. And there are guys that put in big volume, you know, in the South. Um, but for me, uh, it, I just don't know if you're really going to see those returns. It was really just about kind of finding the right balance for me. Uh, and sometimes less is more, I think, in the heat. And really, I think less is more all the time. It's about arriving to race day healthy, hungry, still motivated to run and keeping that consistency as opposed to a couple big benchmarks. So you're like, oh, I know I can run well because I did all these huge workouts and all these big races. I didn't put together more than four miles at marathon pace at any one time. Uh, so you just kind of have to trust that it's going to come together and that you're going to be able to execute on, game, on, you know, on race day when you're in some cool weather. And, uh, you know, that's been my mentality in the past, so it was a little easier to get there. But I think that is important for people that if you're training in warm weather, uh, don't expect to build your own confidence at that time. You just have to know that the effects of putting in that work will come together on race day and you kind of just have to take some points from things you've done in the past and then be willing to go for it and it should work out. That's such such great advice there. Can you talk about your progression as a runner? Because you are going to the Olympic trials at, you'll be 34, right, on, yep. on race day? Yep. Yep. And you're putting in some of your best work and best races now at this point in your career Maybe you could give uh, our listeners a little bit about where you were earlier in your career and then just uh, some of your PRs now. Yeah, so uh, it does feel good to you know, still be running PRs. And I think 
you know, I, I think I said earlier in this that I'm not much one to like celebrate or like, you know, hang on to things for a long time. But I think it really is important to enjoy when you do run PRs because you never know when, you, when you're going to be able to put down another one. Again, not holding on to being super results oriented. I knew there was kind of a big jump coming if I could line things up. But yeah, you know, I, I ran locally here in high school, you know, did some okay things, nothing, you know, super, super strong. Uh, <clears throat> ran for the University of Florida was a pretty good runner. I felt like I had a lot more in me still. Um, you know, not everything lined up as well as I thought it could in college, but I just was burnt out from, you know, seasons not ending as well as they should have uh, after a lot of work. You know, the coach maybe didn't line it up perfectly or we just raced a lot and trained really, really hard and put in a lot of big workouts. And, you know, I think that's a pretty common thing to see people train too hard too early and by the end of the season you know i'd go into nationals and cross country and just want the season to be over and and that was a tough feeling season in and season out when i loved running and wanted to be there but when you're overtrained and you're feeling really tired that that really got to me season after season i just couldn't handle that anymore so i stepped away from the sport for uh almost four years actually and then i came back in my mid-20s when i was living in dallas um my wife's an engineer, and she'd gotten a job there. We were living there for a couple years, and I got back into the sport kind of more on my own terms, you know, where you get to run the races you want to run, you get to train how you want to train. So I started coaching myself and also working with uh, a buddy from high school, uh, from college, actually, Matt Hensley, who uh, is out, out in Boulder. He's a fellow marathoner. He's a 219 guy and coaches a, a group out there. Um, so kind of started working with him, learning more about the longer distances and qualified for the 2016 Olympic trials. But actually, you know, I was planning to run the trials, but things kind of lined up um, between, you know, saving money from playing poker and my wife uh, working her job. We had saved up enough money, so we moved abroad and lived down in Ecuador, uh, lived on the coast down there, surfed for a couple months, lived up in the mountains, traveled around. Uh, we lived in Europe, we lived in Indonesia, traveled Australia, New Zealand briefly, and then lived in Canada and Vancouver before. We actually had no plans of moving back to Florida, but after traveling, um, kind of just felt like it was time to come home and be closer to some family. So we moved back to Florida four years ago and uh, wasn't running at the time, skipped the 2016 trials. And it was kind of hard because I had planned to run a marathon. You know, that was like the progression, run some half marathons and work towards running a marathon and run the Olympic trials. And so I felt like I had some unfinished business, wasn't really sure if I was going to be in a place to get back into it. I think you need the right mentality that you really, that, that drive to come back. Um, so I got into coaching here in Gainesville and before I knew it, you know, being around some other athletes, seeing that again, got back into it uh, three years ago. And since then, I, you know, the focus has been on the marathon, kind of finishing the unfinished business of running the Olympic trials. And uh, since I've PR'd everything, every distance, you know, 1,500, 5K, 10K, 15K, not the half marathon yet, but I also haven't, I haven't really given myself a shot at that yet. I haven't run a like a real competitive race. I do 99% of my workouts alone. I do long runs with the team, um, which I would say, you know, having to do everything alone isn't best, but uh, I think it does make you mentally tough. This summer, I've changed a lot of things up. So it's sort of that poker mentality that if you're not getting better, you're not improving, like you're kind of getting worse, mm -hmm. you know, because everyone else is getting better. You know, in this day and age, people are learning, people are improving. Um, and, and I try not to be like, I have to get better because if not, my competitor, competitors are going to beat me. But it's about finding ways for you to get better, not by looking at what other people are doing and be like, I have to do that workout. Because this day and age, you can see what everyone else is doing sure. and feel like I have to do that. So it's finding 
what works for you and what things you need to improve on as opposed to what other people are doing that's making them fast because everyone's different. You know, I was going to have you get more into your philosophy with your coaching, but I'll tell you what, you've done such an incredible job weaving that into all these answers. I think people can see and, and take away these thoughts about doing what's right for you and not yeah. being overtrained not worrying about somebody else's training versus yours and the mental aspect that comes with yep. training alone. You know, those are all incredible pieces of advice for, for everyone. And you made a comment there that I, I really connect with. And my dad was a basketball coach when I was growing up and he, he always said, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Yep. You're never staying the same because someone else is out there getting better. You're shooting for a a top three spot in Atlanta, right? There's only so many guys who can go. And so you have to worry about taking care of yourself and getting better every day. And that doesn't always mean pressing the gas harder. Yeah, we're doing more mileage. You know, everyone's like, I got to do more mileage. I have to do bigger workouts. There's a lot of ways to get better that don't involve stressing your body. Mm -hmm. You know, body response to stress, that's part of training, but that's a pretty slow progression. There's a lot of other ways to get better along the way. One of them mainly being just avoiding injuries. Yeah, you know? right. The, yeah. the greatest uh, ability is availability. Yes, for sure. Well, Enoch, we'll be in Atlanta, so we're super excited to see you there, and we look awesome. forward to hopefully catching up with you after the trials, too, reflect That'd back on, on this cycle. So thanks so much for joining Seconds Flat. It's been a pleasure, and I think our listeners can take away some great insights for their own training, so thank you for that as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that will do it for mile 44. We want to again thank Enoch for joining us. It was great to hear from him, learn more about his running and coaching. As always, you can contact the show, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Everyone have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you can enjoy it with family and friends and be so grateful for all that we have in our lives. And looking ahead, both Benjamin and I have marathons upcoming. Benjamin caught a little bug there after the Sphinx Run Fest. He's going to buckle in for one. And I am T-minus two weeks on a quick turnaround Ooh, for a race baby. myself. So we hope to have good results for you coming soon. We look forward to seeing you in mile 45. Everybody have a great week. Bye.